0: Lord, we praise You this morning that indeed You are alive, forever and ever, a Savior who came and gave His life, a King who defeated sin, and one who will be and reign forever. And Lord, we thank You this morning as we're reminded of that, and as we continue to look through Your Word, as we go to the book of Mark and we examine the life of the Messiah, as we examine your life, the life of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that you would guide us, direct us, open our eyes and our ears to hear what you'd have us to hear. Because even today, right now, you are alive and you want to speak to us. And so, Lord, I pray that through your word you would do that this morning. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alright, well we will be finding ourselves in the book of Mark and we're going to be finishing up chapter 14 this morning. Uh, Before we get there, as I asked last week if you had ever had a moment in your life in which you felt that you had been betrayed by somebody that you cared about and somebody that professed to care about you and how how the pain of that is not like many other pains that we can experience. The pain of betrayal, the pain of someone turning their back on us especially in our hour of need, is something that is very hard for us to deal with and it can hurt so deeply and many times it's one of the hardest things to forgive. And we looked at the beginning of this part of Mark chapter 14 where we see the, the, the spiraling down towards Jesus's death has begun and we start by looking at the betrayal that he would be facing by Judas Iscariot and we're going to continue that journey today as we continue down that path, and we're going to see, remember, that Jesus not only would be betrayed by Judas, but he'd also, in a very real way, be hurt by his closest followers, his closest friends, even as the t- disciples would turn away from him. And, and that's what we're going to look at this morning. But before we even get there, I want us to think again about how, uh, how life has been for us. And I want you to think about a time in your life in which there is something that's been coming in your life, and You know there's no way around it and yet it's coming closer and closer and you begin to dread that it's going to happen. And you're so in dread of it that it consumes you, it gives you, uh, it it makes you nervous, Uh, sometimes it might make you uneasy and even to the point of uh, of fear, despair even, uh, and to be saddened by what you know is going to come on a small scale, maybe it's something I remember Uh, When I was in in seminary, actually, there was a Hebrew Hebrew test. Now, Hebrew was never my strong point, uh, and it still isn't. Uh, But Hebrew, uh, there was this test that I knew we were going to have to take. And I had done okay on the quizzes, but I knew that this test was coming. There was nothing I could do to get out of this test. And honestly, it got to the point where I was really, really uh, stressed about it. I didn't know what, but I knew it was coming. And the day came, I got through it. I won't tell you how I did, because... You guys will judge me too harsh. But, and, uh, but it didn't go well. Let's just put it that way. And, uh, but that's something small. But then I started thinking about what else in our lives might we look out to see that is coming. that there's no, It's out of our control. It's, it's something that we know is coming, but there's nothing we can do to get around it. Uh, maybe it's something uh, much more serious than a school test. Uh, and, and many of you have gone through trials and tests in your life. Maybe it's an upcoming surgery, maybe it's something you waited for and you knew that you were going to have to go through a procedure. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's someone in your family that uh, you know is, is, is going to uh, be either leaving to, to move away or, or even maybe that they were going to be passing away and you had to watch that and you saw that and you're like, this is not something I want to experience. This is not something I want to have happen in my life and we can get upset about it and we can get really saddened by it. And I want you to find your, just think in your mind what that is like. And I believe that all of us have had a moment or more in our lives in which there is something on the horizon that we see coming and we can't get around it. And it's something that just bothers us to the pit and the the depth of our soul. I'm not saying that we're fearful even sometimes or even worrying and we know that God has it in control, but even when God has things in control, that still doesn't mean that we want to go through the pain. And it still doesn't mean that we want to experience the suffering that's coming because we are made not to want to suffer. We're made to want to to have comfort. And we can find that comfort in Christ. But in our lives, we come through those moments in which things get tough and we look ahead and we say, this is coming, I don't want this to come. Lord, take it away. I know it doesn't look like it can be, but we find ourselves in that place. And I think all of us have found ourselves in some place. Maybe it's something small, maybe it's something very large. But Jesus finds himself in this same situation this morning. Not only does he already know that Judas is going to betray him, he sees it out and he knows it's coming. Not only does he know that his disciples, as we'll look at in just a minute, are going to walk away from him and turn their backs on him. Not only does he know that he's going to be arrested, and not only does he know that he's going to go to trial, Jesus knows that at the end of this he's going to die. He's going to die a brutal death at the cross. One of the very worst ways you could possibly die physically, but not only does Jesus see that and know that that's coming for him, but he also knows that that act of going to the cross and having the physical suffering that he'll have to go through is going to be accompanied by the spiritual suffering that he's going to have to endure as he takes the penalty and he takes sin upon himself so that he can, so that he can make the sacrifice for that sin. Not that he becomes a sinner, but that he takes the sin on his body and he pays the penalty for sin, and that's what we know is coming, and that's what we're going to see as we look at the end of the book of Mark. But let's keep in mind that Jesus knew all this was coming. Jesus is not caught by surprise when he's arrested or betrayed by Judas. He's not caught by surprise when they take him to trial. He's not caught by surprise when they eventually beat him and they eventually kill him. He knows what's coming. He is God as a man here on this earth, and he knows what's coming and that's where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 14. I, I want us to understand where Jesus is at this point and remember we've talked about Jesus is fully God. Yes, but he's fully man. He has the same emotions that we would have, the same pains that we would have and this is where he finds himself. Looking on the horizon, knowing that something's coming, that he's not going to be able to get around and how does he handle that and we're going to see part of that this morning. We're going to continue to see how this is working out in the betrayal of the servant king. So some review from uh, the rest of the book of Mark and then moving into what we looked at last week before we can even get into what we're going to look at this morning. So far in the book of Mark, we've seen that Jesus is the suffering servant king. He's truly God, he's truly man. The suffering servant king that would suffer for us, he would serve us through his death, but he yet is still the king. We see that Jesus has been opposed and rejected by the Jewish leaders time and time again and now we're going to see the ultimate act of the Jewish leaders as they oppose Him and reject Him by putting Him to the cross and that's coming. But so far we've seen that time and time again He's been rejected by the Jewish leaders. They're afraid of losing their authority. They're afraid of losing their influence. Jesus' mission in the midst of all this, He tells His disciples and He tells us, is to suffer and die for all people. That He will suffer and die for all people, all people in the sense that it's Gentiles, it's Jews, it's all those who will come to him in faith. Jesus has made that plenty clear. And then Jesus has made it clear as he's taught his disciples, as they've followed him, as they've listened to him, as they've walked beside him, Jesus has said that following Jesus means self-sacrifice. You can't get around that in the book of Mark. You could read it and see it, that self-sacrifice is the mark of a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because if he is willing to suffer and serve, we should be as well as we follow in his example. And as we've looked at the rest of the book, we see that Jesus again and again shows and teaches his identity to his followers. The identity that he indeed is the Messiah, the, the suffering servant king who is truly God and truly man. That he's there to suffer and to die, to pay for the sins of the world. He's told everybody this, they still don't quite get it, but Jesus continues to teach it and now they're going to see it come to fruition. They're going to see what is going to happen after Jesus has been talking about it this whole book. And so that's where we find ourselves as we looked at the book of Mark. Last week we started chapter 14 and we saw the beginning of the betrayal of Jesus. We know about Judas. We know about his kiss. We've heard about that. But we're looking at the journey to get to that point. And so far this is what we've seen in Mark chapter 14. We've seen the, the Jewish authorities plan to arrest and kill Jesus secretly. You see in parentheses here, I put with Judas's help. So we see that the Jewish authorities want to. They're planning on arresting and killing Jesus, but they want to make sure it's secret because the people, if they see it happening, they're going to revolt. And the authorities know that a lot of people respect Jesus and a lot of people are following Jesus and a lot of people have just, in the triumphal entry, stood by the road, thrown their clothes on the ground and palm branches and cried out, Hosanna. They, they've given praise to Jesus as king. And so the, the, the authorities know, we can't do this in public. So they're trying to find a way to do it in secret. And Judas comes along and gives them their way. Judas comes along and says, I will find a way to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. Because Judas wasn't getting his way. He, he, sees, he sees what's happening in Jesus and he knows that it's not what he signed up for. He wanted power and prestige and wealth and that's not what he's going to find in following Jesus and so he, be- he goes to betray him. So we find that that's the beginning of all this. We're told that that happens. Judas approaches them and they make this plan. Then we see an a parenth- an a in a parenthesis in Mark that Jesus at this time is anointed by Mary and questioned by his disciples. Remember Mary, uh, a whole year's worth of wages, she pours this perfume, this nard, she pours it over Jesus' head and His feet, and we see that what, the, what Judas then said, and the rest of the disciples questioned her about, was, why are you wasting all that money? And Jesus simply says, sometimes, even what is good, giving to the poor, which is so vitally important, which He makes it clear throughout the New Testament... That is vitally important, but you'll always have the poor. You won't always have me. And Jesus says, Worshiping me and giving sacrifice to me is more worth than even giving all that you would give to the poor. And he makes a point that the good things we can do are great, but we need to make sure that we are worshiping him because that is what is best. It's giving up the good for the best if it takes that. And Jesus makes it very clear that he's about to die, that she is anointing him for his burial She gets it, even though the disciples don't quite comprehend what's going on yet. And that's why then we see Jesus shares the Passover meal with the disciples. And as he shares the Passover meal, he predicts his betrayal. He predicts that someone's going to betray him. He says, one of you who is here is going to betray me. And in the midst of this, he has this moment with them, with his closest followers, and as he has this moment at the Passover meal, we see the first communion, as we've come to call it, the Lord's Supper. He says, look, I'm going to die. My body that I've taken on, that, that my, my, my human body is going to be broken, and the blood that is shed is going to be the, the blood that can give forgiveness and a new covenant, and Jesus makes it clear that even though he's going to be betrayed, even though... What we'll find out today, the disciples will turn their backs on Him. He is offering forgiveness and He is offering love through the death that He's about to experience. And so that's where we find ourselves as we now come to Mark 14, verse 26. Mark 14, verse 26, and we'll just read through this passage. And we'll look at what we have to see today. So in Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And he came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you might not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. one of those who stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to them, Have you come out against against me as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me, but let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. All right, let's take some time to look at what's happening here as we follow the, the, the journey to Jesus' betrayal <clears throat> and what, what happens in the aftermath. First thing we're going to look at this morning is that Jesus starts by warning the disciples of their upcoming desertion. Jesus warns the disciples of their upcoming desertion in verses 26 through 31. In verses 26 through 31, they're done with the Passover meal. They sing a hymn that signifies that they are done celebrating for that time. And now they go to the Mount of Olives. This is a place they went often as you look throughout the Gospels. A place to pray, a place that was uh, overlooking the temple. There was lots of reasons they would go here, but this is one of Jesus' favorite spots to go. He brings his disciples to the Mount of Olives. and, and But as this is happening, what we see then is that Jesus says... As they're traveling, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. You see, Jesus says His closest friends will run when things get hard. Jesus says that His closest friends and followers will run when things get hard. Indeed, He says that they will fall away. You look at the Greek of this, the fall away is, is to turn away from. And in some points it's even used to say to turn away from and entered into sin. So Jesus is not using light words here. He's not just saying, oh, you're going to be afraid and you're going to walk away. No, he's saying, you're going to turn your back on me. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. And he's telling all of them this as they're traveling. And then, of course, he says this, uh, and we see that this is what's going to happen. Zechariah prophesies this. That's what he talks about when he says the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It's been foretold in Old Testament that this will be what would happen. And it's, it's interesting if you want to read Zechariah, if you want to read what's going on there, really it's about Israel, but it's also foreshadowing the, the, the Messiah and how even through this, even though that they'll be scattered, it's for their own good. It actually ends up for their own sanctification. That's why Jesus then goes on and gives them hope even in this prediction. Jesus gives them hope even in this predi- prediction. He predicts that they're going to turn their backs on Him. But then he says that there's some hope. Cuz he says after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And this is a this is such an encouragement. I you know, to me, to you I hope, to the disciples, I'm sure it had to be somewhat or an encouragement because Jesus just got done saying you're going to turn away, but but I'm going to be raised up. I'm going to resurrect and I will meet you again in Galilee is what he's saying. I'll see you in Galilee. It's not the end. Whatever's going to happen now, even though you're going to turn your backs, and even though I'm going to give my life, when I am raised up, I will be with you again. And there will be res- restitution, there will be forgiveness, there will be a time in which we will reunite. And just as a side, you know, how many times have we turned our backs on Christ? Gone the, our own way and moved away from Him and, and said, I don't want you or whatever, and maybe it's a little thing, a big thing, I don't know what it is. But the truth of the matter is, is Jesus rose again to give new life. And you know what? He's still risen again. He still gives new life. There is still hope even when we do fail. And we can turn around and come, and, and come back to Him as we, as we have this relationship. He's not just going to abandon us because we abandon Him. That is a truth that should encourage us because we are so fickle and we are so sinful that there are times that we turn from Him, but He will not turn from us. You see, they may fall away from him, but he says, I'm not going to fall away from you. He will reunite. And so there's hope even in this prediction. But there's still this hardship. You're going to run away. You're going to turn your back, but I'll see you again. But then the disciples say, wait a minute, stop everything. Hold it. No, no, no. Of course, you know it's Peter, right? Uh, uh, Peter, he, he's like, oh no, no Jesus. You don't understand. I'm following you. I'm here to fight for you. I, I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to be with you doesn't matter if I even die. If I have to give my own life, I'm going to be with you. And he's, he's adamant about this. Like, he's strong about this. This isn't just, uh, you know, it's not just, a, oh, God, oh, Jesus, you know, I, I, I will. I, I think I'll stay. No, he's like, no, I'm going to die for you. That's what he says to Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Next week, we'll, we'll look at how that happens. And that does happen during his trial. And Jesus predicts this. And that's where Peter says, now, I must, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. He says, no, no, no. He's doubting Jesus. <laughs> he doesn't believe Jesus. He believes in himself. He believes in his strength more than he believes in what Christ is saying. And then it says, and they all said the same. I can just see this happening as Peter comes to Jesus and says, no, I'm we're not, not going to leave you. I'll give my life for you. And everybody else is behind him saying, yes, yes, Jesus, we'll give our, even our life. We'll stick by your side. I think is what we're going to see, because we're going to see in a minute that they don't do what they just said. right? They, they, they're relying on their own strength. They don't trust that what Jesus is saying that they are going to turn away. They really think that they're, they, they're strong enough. But I think part of this, is, and we're going to see this in a minute, but I think part of this is the disciples are still not quite fully understanding or convinced of what Jesus is really doing. Like, I don't think they're fully convinced and and fully believe that Jesus is really actually going to die and and that that everything that they've been following, remember this political agenda idea, this political Messiah idea would still be in their minds and in their hearts because I still don't think they fully understand everything. And I'm thinking here, and this is just kind of, is kind of me thinking and I might be, I might be wrong, so don't take this as truth by any means, but it seems to me like they're saying, listen, I know we're on the winning side, so I'm going to fight with you. Like, I know that you're the Messiah, I know you're going to win, so I'm going to fight with you. Why would I leave your side if you're going to be the winner? Because they're still thinking about this in a very earthly way, and I think we'll see that in a moment, so I won't say anything more about that. But I think through Peter, we'll actually see that here in a minute. But so as Jesus does this, they're traveling, he gives this prediction, he gives them some hope. The disciples claim unconditional loyalty, but it's not genuine. The disciples claim unconditional loyalty, but it's not genuine. Peter is first, the others fall in line. They, will th- they think they will stick by Jesus' side, but they won't. Even Peter himself will deny him three times. The one who is the first one to be up there and say, I'm going to die with you, what we're going to see in, in, is that he denies him three times. And so that's where Jesus kind of, this is kind of a bummer type thing, right? He's saying, you guys are going to fall away. And then after he says this, Jesus comes to this point where he prays in Gethsemane. Many of us know this story. Many of us have heard this so many times. And so this is right before he's arrested. And what does he do? Before he's arrested, before the most stress of his life is going to come, before he has to endure all the things we've already talked about, he goes to the garden that is on the Mount of Olives in Gethsemane and he prays. And that's where we find ourselves next. And this is interesting that this is included in here because honestly, it could have just, we could have just been fast-forwarded right to his betrayal and arrest. But God wanted us to see something very specific here and we even look at the disciples and we see the very men who are just saying that we're willing to fight with you, we're willing to die for you. Those very same men aren't even willing to stay awake while their Savior prays. And that's what we see as Jesus prays in Gethsemane. So Jesus prays while his disciples sleep. Jesus prays while his disciples sleep in verses 32 through 42. And the first thing I want to point out here as we're looking at this passage is Jesus comes to pray and he brings, he says, sit here while I pray. And then he took with him Peter and James and John. He takes three of his closest disciples, those who uh, have been following from the beginning. He brings them with him and he says that, and he says he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And then he says to those disciples in verse 34, and he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. The first thing we see here is that G- in Jesus' sadness, He seeks the Father. We see here He's sorrowful unto death, He's distressed, he's troubled, he's upset and he's sad, and he's in despair. So that doesn't jive with Jesus. He's God. Why, I mean, he knows what's coming on the other side. Like why would he be like this? Let's remember what we've seen in Mark. He is the suffering servant king who is both man and God. He's God and man. We see his humanity so clearly in this passage that he is troubled, he is distressed, he is sad unto death. If this was seen today, no doubt uh, he would. It would automatically be considered that somehow he is in this fit of depression. That's what it would be called because that is how sad and distressed and troubled he is. Sorrowful unto death. That, I mean, I can't even exp- I don't know if any of us have ever been that sad. Maybe you have that distressed, that upset. And Jesus was there and Jesus is there. And Jesus is, is showing us here that he is really has emotions. And it's okay to be distressed because if this was sinful, then Jesus couldn't have done it. Because Jesus is perfect, and so we see in his sadness. So I want to be very clear here, and I want to do a little thing. I said I was going to do it. And I told my wife I'd do it. I wasn't sure if I was going to, but I want to, because some of you are looking a little glassy eyed. So, all right, I want to remind you of a song that many of us probably sang as children. I know I did. I'm going to sing, so I'm sorry that will wake you up, but um, so just you know, remember the song. I'm I, what is it? I'm in right, out right, upright, downright. Remember, the, does anybody know that song? What's the next, what's the next phrase? So, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. I'm in right, out right, up right, down right, happy all the time. Since Jesus Christ came in and cleansed my heart from sin, I'm in right, out right, up right, down right. And some of you sang it. All right, so I woke some of you up. That song, as much as it's fun... Is Christianity, is knowing Jesus mean that we are happy all the time? It means we can have joy and peace all the time. But does it mean that we are happy all the time? I think there are many Christians out there that feel like when trials of this life hit and things hurt and things are happening that you don't like and you don't want to happen, that somehow you just have to grin and bear it. Just put a smile on when you come to church because you can't let people know that you're hurting. Because it's not good to hurt. It's not good to show that I'm hurting or I'm sad or I'm depressed about something. It's just I, I can't show people that. I need to put my smile on and look like everything is great. And we live, or even we lie to ourselves and say, if I can just be happy, if I can just smile through this, everything will be okay. The truth of the matter is, is everything will be okay in the sense that God is in control and God is overseeing it, and we can have trust, and we can have hope, and we can have peace and we can have joy, but that doesn't mean we're going to be happy the way that the happy is often defined. Jesus was distressed. He was troubled. He was sad unto death. I can't say this enough. Jesus shows that emotion is okay. Being sad about life and the way that this world is is okay. Sickness and death and sin is not good. It is not okay. It was never meant to be. It's here because of sin and we can be sad about that and that's okay. Jesus was sad. He knew what was coming. He was so troubled. But, and here's where we get to what Jesus did because this isn't the point. The point isn't just that he was sad. But in Jesus' sadness, what does he do? He seeks the Father. He prayed persistently that the cup of judgment might pass from him. He says, he prays, and he's, we're told that he, he prayed that, the, that if the hour could be removed, that it would. In verse 36, he says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And we see what Jesus is praying for. Jesus is praying, God, if there's any way that you can do this a different way, please let it happen. And he says, God, I know, Abba, Father, I mean, Daddy, Father, and this intimate relationship, which, by the way, the Jews would never use Abba. This is a point, again, where Jesus is showing his intimate relationship because he is God himself. And he says, look, if there's any other way for us to do this, I would would much rather do it another way. Because his humanity and his flesh is, is there and he doesn't want to go through the physical and spiritual suffering that's on the way. He doesn't want to. He's upset about it. He's, he's, he's distressed about what's about to happen as any of us will would be. But I want to say this. I think a lot of times we look at Jesus' death and we just think, well, Jesus, of course he died for us. You know, We take it totally for granted. Like somehow it was what he was here to do so it wasn't a big deal. Jesus' death was a huge deal. His suffering was a huge deal. And Jesus then now knows it. And he's begging God. He said, if there's any other way. But then he says something that all of us need to say in our prayers. And he says, but not my will, but your will be done. His human will does not want to go through suffering. But the will of God is that he has to, to so that he can suffer and serve for our salvation. And Jesus knows that's the way it has to be. And so what we see is he prays persistently that the cup of judgment might pass from him. Deep down, he knows it won't, right? Jesus knows it's, that it's not going to change. He knows it won't, but his humanity is being seen because he's just praying, he's so upset. Other passages will tell us when he's praying at the, around this time, you, you, he's actually sweating blood. That's how upset he is. I mean, this is crazy stuff. And Jesus is, is praying, God, if there's any other way, if there's any other way we can do this, let's do it. He knows, by the way, that the Father can, but then at the end knows that he won't because it's not the will. It's not what's meant to be. It's not how it's planned. Remember a while ago we were talking about prayer and we said a lot of times we pray as if, uh, God, if you can do this, would you please? But really it's not about whether God can, but it's about God, whether God will. God can do anything. And Jesus says this here. Everything is, everything is possible. And we know that everything is possible with God and we, can, we need to pray with that faith. But we need to also understand that sometimes his will is not what ours is. And we can still submit to that as Jesus did. Well, see, Jesus at this time as he's praying, he asks his closest followers to do the same. When he brings these three guys up, he's not just bringing them there so that they can uh, have a comfortable place to sleep. Jesus says, keep watch. And the understanding here is that they are keeping watch for the enemy, Now, in their mind, I don't know if they thought that was going to be the betrayer or whether they understood that Jesus was most likely talking about the sin temptation that would come as a result of spiritual warfare. But in either case, Jesus says, look, come with me, watch with me. And later on, he says, pray with me. He wants his closest disciples. At the time, he's hurting the most. His closest friends, he wants them to be there for him and pray with him. They are to watch and pray so that they won't fall into temptation is what he says. He wanted them to pray with him and for him for about what was going to happen. He knew what was coming and he knew he needed, the strength, he needed the strength and that they needed strength from God in order to endure what was coming. And yet then what we see is they can't stay awake and prepare for what's coming. They can't stay awake and prepare for what's coming. His closest disciples can't stay awake and alert like he was at they were asked. Now it's interesting, remember, these are the same guys, Peter is the same guy who just got done saying to Jesus, no, nah, I will die for you. I will follow you no matter what, and he can't even stay awake as Jesus is praying. This is kind of a foreshadowing of what we're going to see in just a minute. And Jesus says your spirit is willing, but your flesh is weak. And understand, In other words, I know you say you want to do this, and you think you want to do this, and you feel like you want to do this, but you're Your body and your sinful desires are not going to allow it to happen. This is referring to the disciples who desire to be faithful but are not following through. Jesus is saying, look, your spirit is willing but your flesh is weak. But also understand that Jesus understands this. This is kind of compared with Jesus' weak, not sinful flesh, but his body versus his spirit. You see, his body doesn't want to go through the suffering that it's about to, but he knows that in his spirit that he needs to go through it. And so he has been an example to the disciples of what it looks like to have a weak flesh and yet have the, the spirit actually win. But yet, the disciples are letting their flesh win. Even though they want to, they're not following through in the way that they should. And this is a foreshadowing of what we'll see next. And that's our last point today, and that is that Jesus is betrayed, arrested and deserted. Jesus is betrayed, arrested and deserted. And so as we see this happening, Jesus brings our Judas, sorry, Judas brings a mob by night to arrest Jesus by night. So remember, this is after the, the Last Supper with the disciples. This is after the Lord's Supper, and now they go and pray. Uh, most commentators would agree that this is sometime in the early, early morning, between midnight and 3 a.m. It's in, that ra- it's in that realm. And as you look at it, Jesus is out there praying at night in the dark. Remember, this is uh, in uh, the first century. You know, this is not about, um, this is not, they didn't have floodlights, they didn't have uh, lamps in the parks in the gardens, okay? So uh, there's not a whole lot of light. A lot of you have asked me, uh, you know, how, why did Judas have to kiss Jesus? Why, why couldn't they just come in and they knew who he was? I mean, it's not like Jesus was hiding from people. Well, let's think about the context. They wanted to do it in secret, so they needed to do it by night. They needed to do it in a desolate, isolated place that not many people would be. So Judas leads them. First of all, we've got to understand this. The Ju- Judas is leading this mob, right? The thing I think we forget is that it's not like Judas was just around and the mob showed up and Judas said, "Oh, I got to run over and kiss Jesus." Now Judas knew where Jesus would be because he knew where him and his disciples went at time at, during the festivals. He knew that Jesus would be there praying because it was something he'd seen him do before. Judas knew where they would be, and maybe he knew because he overheard a conversation or he just knew from past experience. But Judas knew where they were going to be, so Judas led this mob to find Jesus because otherwise the mob wouldn't have known where he was. Judas leads them to him. So it starts there. That's why Judas had to betray him, because they wouldn't have known how to find him. But even once there, the poor lighting and open landscape of a garden would have made identifying Jesus very difficult. And so we see then, as Judas has brought the mob by night, then we see Judas betrays Jesus through his close relationship. This is where it gets the most hurtful. It's not even just he pointed his finger and says, hey, that's him, go arrest him. But Judas goes out of his way to use the relationship that Jesus has made with him to betray him. Judas finds Jesus right after he's done praying. He calls him rabbi, a term of endearment. Teacher, my teacher. And then kisses him. Probably several times. It wasn't just a simple little kiss. It was a. It would have been a kiss to show familiarity. It would have been a kiss to show uh, the, the relationship that was there. And he kisses him, but it's as a sign to the mob that he is the one that they are looking for. See, Judas abused the love that Jesus had shown for him to betray him. Not only did he just betray Jesus, but he did it in one of the most personal, awful ways you could. And Jesus is there... And what we see right after this, in the aftermath then, Judas betrays Jesus, the mob comes, they arrest him. If you look at other, other, uh, other gospel accounts, you'll see the other things happen. Jesus declares, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus. And he says, I am he. And they all fall back. It's, it, there's a lot to go. I would encourage you to read this account in all the gospels. A lot happens here, but in the end, what happens is he does get arrested. And then we're told that one of the disciples, if you're, if you're following along with me, one of the disciples, uh, after they laid hands and seized him in verse 46, and one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. I believe it's from John's account. We know that this is Peter. Um, maybe it wasn't John. Maybe it was Luke. I can't remember which account it was. But one of the accounts tells us that this is Peter. All right, And so... Uh, Peter wouldn't mention himself remember Mark is telling the perspective of Peter through this gospel and so Peter didn't want the focus on him but this disciple Peter cuts off the ear Uh, we know in the other gospel accounts that Jesus heals the ear of the servant because otherwise Peter would have been arrested with Jesus and so we see that happen but back to my point of Peter and the other disciples being willing to be back up Jesus what was Peter's view of how to back up Jesus? to fight, to cut off an ear, to bring swords out. Remember, swords and clubs came against them, and so Peter wants to fight. I believe that Peter was willing to fight. I believe the other disciples were willing to fight because they thought they'd be on the winning side. But then we see Jesus give himself up. And that's what happens as we look through all the Gospels. Jesus says, take me. This is to fulfill prophecy. Now imagine, just put yourself in the disciples' feet or shoes. Like, They're sandals, I guess. But they're watching they're they're watching this happen to the one who they've been following for two or three years and they're watching this and saying, Wait a minute, what's going on? Why aren't we fighting? They're trying to take the king. They're trying to take the Messiah. They're gonna arrest him and who knows what they'll do with him. We've gotta fight. And I believe that they have that mentality. I'm sure they're ready to fight whatever it takes. Believing that if Jesus really is the Messiah that they believe he is, that he will win. And so they're ready to fight. And then Jesus willingly gives himself up. Whoa. What's going on? Why would you just give yourself up? They don't understand it. And they're watching this happen. And now all of a sudden they're realizing that what they thought they were getting into isn't what they were getting into that the fight wasn't here, that they weren't going to have the victory that they thought they would have. And then what do we see them do? Why do I believe this is the case? Well, because of what they do. And Jesus says, look, the Scriptures need to be fulfilled. I don't know why you didn't arrest me in public. Well, he did know, but you didn't arrest me in public, so now you're going to do it in secret. But here we go. This is to fulfill Scripture. And then what do we read in verse 50? And they all left him and fled. All of them. All of the followers that were with him at least the eleven disciples and possibly and probably more that were around. They all leave. They run. They turn their back. They don't want to be arrested the way Jesus was. They don't want to be a loser. They know that the, the battle is not one that they can fight any longer and they run. Even a young man who's, who's been an observer, a witness, who's only wearing a linen cloth, I don't know why, but, uh, you know, we don't, we're not told that story. But they try to seize him, and they grab his clothes, and he runs away naked. Now, a lot of commentators, and I believe this is true, believe that this is Mark, this young man who runs away naked, because it's not in any other gospel. It doesn't really seem to have a reason to be here, except I think Mark wants to show that he was there, and he, as well as the others, ran away. Even those who were following and watching from a distance, like this young young man would have, ran away. It was a good chance as they've looked at history that the, the upper room that they shared the Passover meal was actually in John Mark's family's house. And so Mark probably was following uh, and at the point where they try to seize him, he runs away. Everybody runs. And Jesus' prophecy is fulfilled. He told them they would fall away and indeed they did. But remember the hope that Jesus still gave him and despite that, So as we continue on, we're going to see his trials. As we go on next week, we're going to see his eventual death, his resurrection, and then he'll fulfill the other part of the prophecy he gave. He said, you'll fall away, but when I'm raised up, I will see you in Galilee. And that will happen as we look through the history of what happens with Christ and then the early church. But let's ask some questions as we close our time together about this passage, about the betrayal of Jesus. The first question I want to ask everyone here is this. Are we a friend of Jesus or an enemy? You see, as we looked at this passage, we've seen that there are both. There are friends of Jesus that are with Him, that are praying with Him, that will abandon Him, yes. But then we also see Judas. We see the mob that comes. They are His enemy and they want to take Him away. They want to kill Him. And my question to all of us is, are we a friend of Jesus or are we still His enemy? See, the truth of the matter is, is the Scriptures are very clear. That because we've sinned, we've gone our own way and said no to God. We are all, when we're born in this world, when we're here, we are all enemies of God. Because we've sinned and gone against Him and we're not perfect like He is and He can't have sin around Him and therefore we are born as enemies. But the Bible is also very clear that there is a way to be reconciled to Jesus. Reconciled to God. And our relationship to God can be reconciled. In other words, we can go from enemies to friends enemies to allies, we can do that because Jesus Christ died for us. Jesus Christ came to the earth. We've seen that. We know he's there. He came to the earth as a man so that he could die for our sin and as God so that that sin that he would atone for could really, really be taken care of. And we're going to see as we continue and finish Mark that Jesus is about to take a beating. He's about to give his life and he says that I'm giving my life so that you can be forgiven of your sins so that you don't have to face the punishment for your sin which is separation from me forever in hell. You don't have to, you don't have, to have that. You don't have to be an enemy of God any longer. You don't have to be like the mob. You can turn and you can be my friend if you will believe even me, and repent. If you will turn away from yourself and turn to me and trust me, that is how you can be saved. That is how you can be my friend. That is how you can be my ally. And so today, as we say every week, if you have not come to a point where you have let Jesus in and had him just take your life over and you believe in everything he's done and everything he is, you believe in that with your whole heart and you follow him. If you haven't done that, then any of this other stuff we're going to talk about won't make any sense. Give your life to Jesus Christ. You won't regret it. That's why he came. To save people. Some questions for the rest of us. Do we run when following Jesus gets hard? You know, you might have great intentions. We might have great intentions. But are we really willing to persevere when things get tough? See, the disciples said, we'll be with you. We're not going to leave you. We'll die for you. And then, Just a few hours later, they're running away. It's easy to get kind of judgmental on the disciples, isn't it? I can't believe they would do that. Just take some time to think about your life. Because I know when I think about mine, I know there's plenty of times where I've told Jesus, I'm with you. And then I've run away when things have gotten hard. Luckily, God will forgive and He comes back and He restores us. But where are you at right now? Are you running from God because life has gotten hard? Maybe life doesn't make sense. Maybe it's not going our way. What are we going to do when that happens? When things hurt, when life, we just don't get it. Are we going to run to Christ or are we going to run away from Him? See, the disciples chose to run away. We need to choose to run to Him. And finally, do we persevere in prayer when we are weak? Do we persevere in prayer when we are weak? Let me ask you this question today. Are you discouraged? Are you angry? Are you depressed? Are you down on life? Are you feeling like there's no hope? it partially could be back to because you've never given Jesus your life, and if you haven't done that, then you're never going to feel hope. Because he's the only true hope. But maybe you know Jesus, but yet today you find yourself discouraged. You find yourself upset. You find yourself sad. First of all, as we've looked at, that's not, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. right? That doesn't mean that you're an awful sinner. It means you're real. You're a human. You have emotions, but how are you going to use those emotions You see, a lot of people when they feel these ways, when they feel discouraged or angry or sad, depressed, down on life, uh, ready to give up, whatever it might be, what do people run to? Well, people will run to a way to self medicate their problem. Maybe it's through food. You're upset, you're depressed, so what do you do? You go eat a half gallon of ice cream. Not that I've ever done that. Maybe it's alcohol, though. Maybe it's drugs, medications mindless entertainment it could be a whole list of things i'm not going to get into the clinical i don't i'm not talking about any of that i'm just saying if you are down and discouraged don't run to anything else that's not the answer what is the answer we saw what jesus did don't look to other things but look to god pray ask him for help just Give yourself up to Him in prayer. Jesus was crying and weeping and just beside Himself as He came to His Father and prayed. And we should do the same when our time, when our life is hard, when we don't have the answers. Look to God. Don't look to anything else because everything else is going to still leave you empty. It's still going to leave you hurting. Look to Jesus. Look to Him. Call upon Him. You see, Christians don't have to be happy all the time. You're not going to be happy all the time, and that's okay, but you can and should have joy and peace in the fact that we can seek God's face even in the toughest times. His joy and peace is ours if we will seek Him. That's where we'll leave ourselves this morning before we get into the rest of what happens with Jesus as He faces betrayal. If everyone would please rise as we sing a song together to finish.